Hello and welcome to Oh God, What Now? I'm Jacob Jarvis. Well, wake me up before you bojo. Boris Johnson is gone. And where were you when you heard the news? I was at the pub having some relaxed pints in the sun when this former PM once again decided to wade into my life. So here we are. Drum roll, please. The emergency edition you've all been waiting for. Joining me today is Podmaster's very own Roz Taylor. Roz, how did you hear the news? Well, the way that I always hear important news and also very unimportant news these days via BBC breaking news alert on my phone um, <laughs> telling me. I, you never know whether it's going to be something really important or whether it's just going to be Laura Kunzberg has interviewed someone. So, yeah, that uh, I was just clearing up my dinner. <laughs> and, well, we couldn't do a Johnson bash cast without the velvety tones of Alex Andreu, could we? Hello, Alex. Hello, Jav. Alex, you were gardening when I last spoke to you. Uh, when you were tending to your bush in the sun on Friday, <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you expect to hear this news in the evening? I did not. Um, I mean, I had the news on anyway. Um, I had my laptop sort of by my side because it was all kicking off with the honours list and Nadine Doris resigning and with Trump over the pond. So I was glued to the news anyway while I was planting lovely poppies. Um, but it, it was just extraordinary. You know, you occasionally get quiet news days and then you occasionally get a day like yesterday where newspaper editors, I imagine, would have legitimately changed their front page four or five times yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember we were scrambling around to decide what shall we speak about for Oh God, What Now on Monday. And then now <laughs> now here we are having to do an extra podcast. So there we go. Uh, how did you feel when you heard the news? Honestly vindicated. Listeners will remember that, that as early as December 2019, I would say, right after the election in that live one, um, when Johnson was considered unassailable, when people were talking about a third term, when everyone was sure Labour was looking at a decade in the wilderness, I was uh, saying that just like Trump, Johnson's und undoing won't be an adversary, but his own hubris, that a large majority was very dangerous for a man like him than a small one because it meant there was nowhere to hide on delivering and it would only serve to convince him of his own invulnerability, that every single overreach would bring him closer to his doom. And at the time, I got either laughed at for being mad or patronized for trying to find sort of silver linings and make everyone feel better. But I genuinely believed that. And, and, and what's more, I think it was an easy guess because men like Johnson and men like Trump only end one way ever. With complete abject failure. But having brought about their own downfall, um, because, you know, they, they're popular, their base uh, supports them come what may. And quite literally, when, when Johnson was put into parliament with a, with a majority of 80 seats, the only person that could have brought Johnson down was Johnson. How do you think Rishi Sunak will have felt when he heard the news? Um, provided he was plugged in at the time, um, I, I think. <laughs> he was charging his coffee cup, so he couldn't. Yes. Um, both elated and scared, I think. You know, it's, it's like when the, the school bully has been suspended, but promises he'll be waiting for you outside after school. Um, you have a temporary reprieve 
but but a sort of much more dangerous situation in a less controlled environment up ahead. Yeah, it adds a sort of chaos factor to it, doesn't it? I mean, in the Commons, Sunak is particularly, he's in a position of power there, isn't he? Whereas then outside of it, just because of the lack of formality, there is less of that, that power dynamic is is changed and allows when Boris Johnson's being more chaos to be completely unbridled, doesn't it? Sure, not not that it's been exactly bridled so far. I mean, looking at the WhatsApp <laughs> messages situation, for instance, um, you know, Johnson has been freelancing really for a year now. Ros, was this all like everything to do with Boris Johnson? I mean, I thought when this news alert came through, was this just a surprise, but again, not like everything about Boris Johnson, because you just expect this about him, don't you? Yeah, I, it wasn't really a surprise for me because what he essentially did was chickened out of being judged by his peers, of it going to mm. a vote on whether there, there should be a, a by-election and he should be kicked out of the Commons. And we mm. saw this mm. before, if you remember, uh, when he tried to win back the leadership last autumn after Liz Truss crashed and burned. Uh, you'll recall then that he was uh, in the running, very much in the running, came back from his holiday, I think in the Caribbean or whatever he was doing there, to get all the names that uh, he was going to get in order to triumphantly seize back control of the Tory party and the country. And then it turned out that although apparently he had enough backers, he just didn't quite want to, you know, to to split the party um, and risk going for a vote. So he graciously stepped back. But essentially, he bricked it because he realised he didn't have the support in the Commons. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. is exactly what has happened to, uh, this time as well. It, because key to his sort of uh, self-made legend is this idea that Boris Johnson is a winner. Uh, and it's also key to his earning power, incidentally. So the key to this mystique that he's built around himself is that he wins elections. And so consistently he avoids any vote that he thinks he's going to lose. And he has the nerve to call it anti-democratic when, you know, that he was pushed out anti-democratically by a small group of people, I think he said in his resignation letter, when in reality... A parliamentary committee, democratically constituted, with a majority of Tories, including people like Bernard Jenkin, um, who are a longtime Brexiteer and ally of his, all it was doing is putting him in front of his parliamentary colleagues, who are also heavily Tory majority, and all they could do was put him in front of his constituency, which is also a Tory majority. So his judgment must have been that there was a good chance that he had lost the committee. Well, he knew that, that he had lost his colleagues in the Commons and that he had lost his constituents. That's the truth. There could not be a more democratic process for removing him. Uh, Ros, going from democratic processes to very undemocratic processes, does this all make his honours list feel even more gross than it already did? Oh, yes, it does. But it was already extremely gross. And it was even grosser than you might think from reading the names, because the House of Lords Appointment Committee actually rejected eight of the names that Johnson put forward for peerages, which is more than half. 
I mean, mm. if you look at the quality of the names there now, and you think what it must have been the the, the people who were actually rejected, it is absolutely <laughs> shameful. Um, but the honours list is. It, it was a horrible reminder for me of his lasting influence on British politics. Now, unfortunately, it's not his biggest influence, of course, on British politics, because that, tragically, is Brexit. But it shows the way that he has been able to infiltrate the establishment and try to reshape it in his image, and the way that he has been able to ennoble these people. And Sunak, remarkably, I think, because... I don't think Sunak would have suffered, frankly, from blocking his appointments to the House of Lords. I I think that would have been something that if he had the balls to do, he could have got away with, but he didn't. That's such a, it shows his weakness. Yeah. Especially it shows his weakness given that we see what position Johnson is in now, effectively having been kicked out of the Commons. Yeah, that, I think with uh, with Sunak, to me, it would also seem he just he doesn't stand up on things which he will inevitably have to face at the moment. It's like he just puts it off and puts it off and puts it off, and then it happens. So he's going to have to have a sort of showdown with Boris Johnson now, anyway, because all of the wankers who love him will be having a go at every single person they deem to have uh, been against Boris Johnson. So he's going to have that clash now, isn't he? Otherwise, so he might as well. Uh, do you think he might as well have just had that earlier? I think he might as well have had it earlier, but there's no there's no doubt in my mind that there's no way Johnson is coming back. I did it did cross my mind that perhaps Nadine Doris had stood down for uh, in mid Bedfordshire yesterday so that Johnson could slide in and yeah. take that seat, which is an even you know it, it, one of the safest seats really in the country at the moment. But I think that's not the case. On reflection, I think there's no way that the Conservative Party central office would allow Johnson to run again as a Conservative. And I don't think he has any interest in running again as an independent. And I think if he did that, by the way, they might even lose that very safe seat. Because I think uh, people's sense of uh, unfairness and grottiness at what had happened would be such that uh, if the progressive parties sort of made an informal pact between them, uh, he might even lose that seat. Yeah. Uh, Alex, do you know how long Johnson's statement was? Because I do. Do you want to take a guess of how many Too long. (laughs) (laughs) It was 1,035 words long. Is it indicative of his own sense of self-importance, though, that he believes people should read that whole thing? I guess so. It's also indicative of his desperation. Uh, I mean, when a man who consistently fashioned himself as the great orator of our times needs 1,000, how much was it? 1,035 words to put across his point, it's not worth putting across. I was was always taught when reading law that, uh, you know, if I uh, received a defense statement from the other side that was in the dozens of pages, that their position was very, very weak. On the other hand, it is about the length of one of his uh, Telegraph uh, columns, so I imagine (laughs) (laughs) that he was just in Telegraph rant mode. It's just that no one has edited this, so it's, you know, even more rubbish than usual. Yes. (laughs) The Daily Mail front page kind of took this and turned it into a sort of listicle, you know, five reasons why I shouldn't have had to quit and you'll never guess what number three was. And, you know, it was basically (laughs) literally a statement with bullet points, which uh, 
yeah, the Daily Mail, I've never agreed with what it's done, but it seemed to not be completely shit at what <laughs> it did at one point in the past. Has he taken these kind of institutions, Alex, and made them even worse? Even the shit things he's he's ground down, like, you know, the, the sections of the media which seem to be obsessed with him. Maybe they should rename themselves uh, Buzzkill UK. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know that Johnson is a catalyst or an agent of change for the worse. He might well be. He certainly isn't helping. I think he's a symptom of a sort of moral degradation of especially the Conservative Party right now. They are out of ideas. That's the truth. They are out yeah. of ideas on how to govern. Um, and, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop because they have no policy platform to argue about, because they have no fresh ideas to push through. They argue about superficial nonsense. And that's what we've seen with Johnson. He's the perfect expression of a lack of substance because he forces a, a consistently uh, superficial battle about insubstantial things. Hmm. I'm, I'm actually going to reference a bit of his statement, because I think if someone says that much stupid shit, let them be, be heard on it. <laughs> so uh, one point here, he says, when I spoke in the Commons, I was saying what I believed sincerely to be true and what I had been briefed to say like any Ugh. other minister. That briefing line to me, does it also show, you know, he, he wants to be the centre of attention, but he also just wants to throw anyone he can under the bus at the same time and go, well, I was literally just saying what people told me to say. This has always been the tension with both him and Trump right? They present themselves as omnipotent. And at the same time, you know, he wants to be seen as a colossus deciding the fate of nations, yeah. a modern Churchill leading the world on every issue, while simultaneously claiming that some junior age just tells him where to go and what to do and what to say next. Yeah. Right? And I suspect if we look at, for instance, the report on Partygate, the latter is the truth. They had to install a makeshift baby gate to prevent this man from wandering around number 10 when he was infected with, with the coronavirus. Okay, does that invoke, you know, he offered to, to do push-ups live for the sun to prove that he was healthy. Is this a, a colossus? Is this a modern Churchill? No. It is the brittlest, most insubstantial man there's ever been in office. Roz, on, on his statement as well, you know, he banged on about the having not knowingly or recklessly misled the commons. It's kind of going back to this sort of, I'm just human, I'm fallible sort of uh, defence that he seems to go for. But does it also sum him up that he doesn't think we should be annoyed if he just ignorantly misled the comments? Like, I'm annoyed if he was just shit. If he was just shit and that made him say things which were incorrect, I'm equally annoyed as if he was saying things he knew to be false. No, I mean, I think what you need to understand about Johnson and Partygate is that he really didn't think that he did anything seriously wrong because he doesn't play by the same rules as the rest of us. 
uh, even though he made those rules as prime minister. What you also have to realise about Johnson is that he's fundamentally a parasite. He gets into institutions like the Telegraph, like the Spectator, like the Tories, like ultimately the British state itself, and he turns them into vehicles for his own self-advancement, and he leaves them husks. Now, that is a terrible thing, and it's a terrible, terrible thing that he has done. But the comfort that we can draw from that is that he is not the kind of man, I think, who is going to set up a movement of his own. He's not going to go out with Nadine Doris and make some kind of new party, some sort of sub-reform party, the Johnson party of his own. I don't think he's capable of that. He literally hasn't got the imagination. He's only interested in going into existing institutions and taking them over. And that is a good thing, because otherwise we might be in a situation where he was trying to set up his own party and get back into politics that way. And I don't think he will do that. So we're going to see him in a Batman suit as part of Fathers for Justice at some point soon. <laughs> that's, that's the next institution he's going to invade. I don't think he wants to spend that much time with his children, let's face it. <laughs> Ross's description is just perfect, isn't it? He's, he really is a parasite. Big Dog is in fact a big tick. <laughs> well, so this this suggestion of it all being a kangaroo court, it's obviously stupid that he is saying that, but can you, in a more verbose and sensible way, explain to me, you know, give me an actual reality check for Johnson as to why he's talking complete rot there? Well, I think Alex did this excellently before uh, when he pointed out what a democratic process it has been getting rid um, of Johnson. It has been. And Hannah White of the Institute for Government wrote a good piece yesterday pointing out that it, that it was reassuring to see Parliament acting in this way and getting rid of Johnson. With Johnson, though, I think what we need to ask ourselves, and this is just as serious, is how did we enable a man like him to get power in the first place? The problem is less with the parliamentary institutions, which have eventually got rid of him, and more with the press and the Conservative Party, which allowed him to take it over. Is it a concern, though, then that, you know, he's, he's on every single front page right now, and he's clearly, he clearly knows that he can make more money outside of Parliament than he can, you know, as an MP. We've seen that from his uh, after-dinner speaking and so on. Is he delusional in thinking that he could have more, posi- more power outside of Parliament as well? Or is there a concern because, as you say, the way that the media has allowed him to build up this narrative around himself? Could he actually be in a position where he still wields a lot of power, just not in a not in a formal way like he has so far? No, I think he's in a terrible place. And I imagine he's in a pretty bad place psychologically at the moment, not that I've mm. had any sympathy whatsoever, because he has been rejected by the institution that he tried to take over. He has been thrown out. There really is, I think, no way back for Boris Johnson now. And he will be while he will derive a small amount of satisfaction from being an irritant to Richie Sunak and from shouting and complaining on the sidelines, he's really, he's a busted flush. He's over. Mm. Um, also, uh, we, which I thought was a very interesting point that Anthony Selden made yesterday when he was interviewed on Newsnight, I think, he said that uh, while there is a rich tradition historically of prime ministers making comebacks, although not recent, it used to be much more common in the in the past, those 
comebacks, generally speaking, have not gone well for the people who have come back. Um, yeah. So they have ten they have tended to be the even less successful spell than the first spell that they had. Although I don't know how that could be for Boris Johnson. I don't know how he could have a worse spell than than the three years he had. And he's not a stupid man. He's a smart person in in a sort of bookish sort of mm. way. And I think there must be a part of him that knows he fucked this up. Whatever excuses he makes for himself, however much he protests, whatever narrative of of embracing victimhood he builds for himself, he must know deep inside that he was three years ago, he was in an unassailable position. March 2020, April 2020, when he was taken into hospital, he was riding at over 50% in the polls. And he fucked this up. Nobody yeah. else did it. And this must gnaw at him. Yeah. Well, he talks about the sort of polling lead he had in his in his resignation letter. And it's kind of then ignores the fact, it's like, well, but have you looked at any lately, which is that like everyone seems to dislike you. Ros, I saw George Osborne tweet, what a lovely evening yesterday with a little smiley face emoji. I, I don't like his politics very much to be honest either and sometimes you know if it's making him happy it makes me think should it be making me particularly happy uh, is this a is this a win for his brand of conservatism you know the sort of apparently sensible austerity peddlers of the past it's not a win for his brand of uh, conservatism because boris johnson has destroyed the conservative party as an election winning vehicle um as we know, austerity politics laid the foundations for Brexit that Boris Johnson was able to exploit. And George Osborne really has nothing to be proud of. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's dismaying to think that he might not realise just what Boris Johnson has done to his, his party. Um, I don't know whether George Osborne has plans perhaps to get back into mainstream politics and it's it's possible that he thinks he does but it would it would be a mistake if he did i'm i'm envisaging a oh god what now t-shirt that just says george osborne has nothing to be proud of <laughs> just, just sales sales galore uh Alex, I mentioned, you know, the Mail's very sad front page. Are all the usual suspects going to be going to be up in arms here? For example, I spotted Darren Grimes replied to George Osborne and it got into a kind of inception of people I don't like talking about people I don't like defending shit I don't like, basically. Are all these people <laughs> um, going to be... Yeah, of course, the, the usual suspects will be up in arms because grievance is their grift. Um, and, and so... That's what they'll do. The newspapers will be slightly more cautious, I think, because uh, there are two objectives. They they want to keep the Conservatives in power, um, or at least they don't want Starmer to get a stonking runaway majority. Yeah. But also they want Johnson to be in charge. And those two objectives are incompatible between now and the next general election. 
because the more they gripe about the Johnson affair, the more it will damage the reputation of the Conservative Party. It will make them look in conflict. It will uh, bring back the Partygate stuff. It will it will just keep the memory fresh in people's minds of what a shit show the last few years have been. And so they will want to tread carefully in that. I suspect there will be a, a, an underlying level of grievance that keeps the seat warm f- for Boris Johnson. Uh, but, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Are there going to be any more resignations, do you think? Is someone else going to fall on their sword going, you know, you've you've got rid of Boris and I'm gone, kind of as Dorries seem to weirdly kind of do, though who knows what the fuck yeah, she's I mean, about. Dorries was always going to be Louise to his Thelma, let's face it. <laughs> um, or, or, <laughs> But I, de- I mean, there might be some resignations, but they will be of the usual kooks. Mm. Um, uh, and so I don't think they will be of anyone influential enough to cause trouble right yeah. now. Although, you know, they might cause a series of by-elections, which might then in turn cause trouble for Sunak. Uh, Alex, see, the Telegraph is after a new editor at the moment. Uh, is there any chance of that? Could he go there? Sorry, I thought you were asking for me. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I'd fucking love to. Um, well, I mean, that depends on who, who buys the Telegraph. Um, listen, my maxim in the last few years, in my darker moments, has been that the rule is if things can possibly get worse, they will. Um, and so... Let's see if the Telegraph and the Spectator are bought by the Koch brothers and Steve Bannon is put in charge and uh, Boris Johnson is made editor. It is entirely possible in the current environment. (laughs) Is an issue at the moment, you know, we spoke about, you said that the people who could potentially quit would be too inconsequential for anyone to really particularly care about. You know, it's going to be random 29. Yeah, and we saw that. People. We saw that in the little uh, rebellion he tried to cause on the Windsor framework. Um, it, it, you know, it was 22 votes uh, against in total, but some of those were DUP. So the rebellion he could muster, even with the help of another former Prime Minister, Liz Truss, was yeah. in the low teens. <laughs> the former Prime Minister Liz Truss is just also a sentence that I, I yes. very much enjoy. Isn't uh, it? Is is that the issue then for, for Johnsonism, let's call it as a vehicle, whatever that might whatever that might be. Uh, there's not really a spiritual success successor to Johnson within the Conservative Party at the moment. And even the people who maybe are, no one gives a fuck about them or they're idiots. So this this whole project is kind of over to me. It feels like. Well, I mean, the issue with the issue with Johnsonism and why it doesn't have a spiritual successor is that it does not exist as a philosophy. It's about the advancement of Johnson's interests. Yeah. Um, and so, who else would want to take that over? Um, nobody. Right. Final question. I'm going to split this to to both of you. Uh, I'm going to go Alex first. Alex, do you think this all brings the prospect of a snap election nearer? I don't. Uh, I think, I mean, if Sunak was smart, he would call an election um, round about now because there are enough indications that 
his things around his five goals are marginally improving, or at least he might be able to claim they're improving. Um, but basically, he needs to do that. Uh, he needed to do that before Johnson made this move. So I think it makes the prospect of a snap election even less likely than it was before, if anything. Uh, Ros, what do you think? Snap election? No, no yeah. chance. I, I, I actually don't think the five goals are improving. Um, we haven't seen a massive drop in um, cross in, in, my, in small boats. The NHS waiting lists are worse than ever. Uh, inflation is, while nominally down, food inflation, which is what matters most to most people, is going up. Uh, he's nowhere near getting close to those. And uh, I don't think there's a there's a chance that he'll go for an election I you know Boris Johnson merely resigning I don't think is a sufficient trigger for an election I I wasn't suggesting they they the five goals are improving by the way I was suggesting that they're claiming um that that this is going on yeah and so they're basically cooking the figures sufficiently at the moment to maybe create an illusion of improvement but if they wait another six months, it will be clear that this was only an illusion. And so I think Boris has fucked him, actually. Um, I, th- I think this will be a, 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 an election defeat for Sunak that is quite substantial. And it is what, what Johnson wants, ultimately, because it's only via a heavy defeat that he has any chance to, to again take over the Conservative Party after the next general election. Well, Ros and Alex, thank you for joining me this morning. Our pleasure, and I mean that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Cheers, Ros. Uh, Listeners, thank you for joining us for this extra Oh God, What Now? Uh, We'll be back next week with more of whatever you would describe this political situation as to discuss. Uh, If you enjoyed the podcast, remember you can back us on Patreon. From £3 a month in support, you'll get episodes early and ad-free. I'm Jacob Jarvis. Thanks for listening to Oh God, What Now?